Welcome to Witch Witches Witch, a pop culture podcast about ladies who use magic. I'm Derek. And I'm Regina. And we're back. We're back after an unintentional hiatus. Yeah, that took longer than expected. Because Derek decided that he wanted to bring Witch Witches Witch coast to coast. Yeah, I am now coming to you live, pre-recorded via <laughs> podcast technology from the podcast center of the United States, Los Angeles, California. Ooh. I moved across the country. But it's funny because the two topics for this episode we discussed them back when we recorded the previous two in December. So we had this exact episode planned almost half a year ago. Yep. Do we have a theme, actually? Yeah. Is well, it dance magic? It is dance magic. The way we initially discussed this was that it's, it's dance magic dance. Dance magic dance. Magic, dance, magic, dance, magic, dance magic. So you've got a magical dance witch to talk to me about. Tell me, who is your magical lady for today? I am talking about Spider-Gwen, real name Gwen Stacy, and as she is known in the superhero community, Spider-Woman, but known to the fans in general as Spider-Gwen, and more recently as Ghost Spider. She is a spider-powered superhero from Earth-65 in the Marvel Comics universe. You may have seen her in the comics or in the movie Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, or in the Marvel Rising series of animated specials. In every version of her story, Gwen gets bitten by a radioactive spider, becomes a costumed crime fighter, and is blamed for the accidental death of her childhood best friend, making her a wanted figure hunted by the chief of police, her own father. Plus, she is the drummer of an all-female punk rock band, The Mary Janes. She sports a super stylish white, black, and pink hoodie, and in the movie she is seen wearing some very stylish cyan blue ballet flats, although in the comics and TV show she is sporting blue Converse Chuck Taylors. Hey guys. Gwanda? It's Gwen, actually. Oh, you know her. All right, people, let's start at the beginning one last time. My name is Gwen Stacy. I was bitten by a radioactive spider. And for the last two years, I've been the one and only Spider Woman. You guys know the rest. I'm so excited for you to tell me more about Gwen Stacy and Spider Gwen specifically because I saw Into the Spider Verse and I watched it with my daughter and she was pumped about Spider Gwen as well she should be because she was awesome. She liked that she could tell that Spider Gwen had some dance magic. And so I'm excited to learn a little bit more. The dance is an angle they specifically put into the movie to, I guess, give more variety to her. And I think it was a fantastic choice. I always loved the inclusion of the Chuck Taylors in her design for the comics, but I do think the ballet flats just brought a whole new angle and informed the way that she moves very differently from the other characters. Totally. So let's get into the rules of witchiness. The first rule is that the witch identifies female. Does Gwen Stacy identify as female? Yes, as her superhero name might suggest, the spectacular spider woman is indeed a lady. Gwen Stacy is a badass rock and roll woman whose free spirit, confidence, and self-defense training by the chief of police makes her one of the most charismatic and formidable warriors of the Spider-Verse. Plus, she's easily got the coolest costume design in the history of superheroes, begging the question, what the heck is wrong with all these Spider-Men? Are they blind? I think, yes, I think they're, they're, they are both blind and subject to unfortunate fashion decisions because they are supposed to be high schoolers, except for that older guy who's divorced and upset. 
Yeah, I mean, in, in the broad spectrum of the multiverse, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of different versions of Spider-Man, Spider-Woman, Spider-Ham, what have you. But the overwhelming majority of them wear a very similar blue and red motif, which, while one of the more iconic superhero uniforms out there, it gets a little staid, it gets a little redundant. And then here comes Gwen Stacy in this shock of white and black and pink, and it's just so hip. It's I love really good. Every inch of it. It's really good. It's really femme. I like her super femme outfit. I like everything about her, really, that I've seen so far, which is not very much. I'm excited to learn more about her for that reason. I didn't know she was in a band. Uh, they show it very briefly in the movie when she's doing, you know how every character does a, all right, here's how I got my powers. Story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When they do hers, there's a quick shot of her playing the drums. I joined a band. She's so cool. Yeah, she's in a she's in a punk rock band called the Mary Janes. Good and name. And it is made up of three of the women who have been Peter Parker's girlfriends in the comic in the main Marvel Universe. <laughs> that is And then delightful. a fourth girl who I believe was just a co-worker at the Daily Bugle. I'm, I'm maybe getting that wrong. But yes, it's four women who have been supporting characters in Peter Parker's life in the main Marvel Universe. In this, the four of them formed a punk rock band together, named after their lead singer, Mary Jane Watson. And Gwen is the superstar drummer of the group. That is delightful. I love ladies supporting ladies. And we'll get to that in a, a future rule of witchiness. But for now, let's, let's talk about the second rule of witchiness, that the witch in question practice magic. Now, this is the one I'm really interested to hear your explanation does gwen stacy practice magic yeah so gwen stacy has the powers that you typically think of from the spider-man she has super strength hyper agility a danger warning sense and those are her inherent spider abilities but she also has a number of physical augmentations that would qualify as extraordinary or supernatural while peter parker used his scientific genius to design a chemical web compound gwen's web shooters were designed by by Janet Van Dyne, the retired superhero known as the Wasp, and they trap moisture in the air rather than relying on a finite amount of chemical web fluid, so she doesn't run out of webbing the same way Spider-Man often does, because it's just taking moisture from the air around her. In the comics, Gwen lost her powers, but mimics them perfectly after bonding with the Venom symbiote, mm. which gives her additional stealth abilities like changing her physical appearance or even blending into her surroundings like a chameleon. Plus, she's got a unique pendant that allows her to travel between dimensions to parallel Earths. A whole bunch of spider people from different realities used to be able to do this, but now Gwen is the only one who still has access to the multiverse. Interesting. I didn't realize that she paired with Venom, who I find fascinating for a number of reasons. That's pretty cool. And it seems like kind of a bummer for... Spider-Man, either Peter or Miles or whoever the Spider-Man is in her universe, that he doesn't have this awesome new web shooter technology. Because I feel like the running gag with Spider-Man is like, when is he going to run out of web fluid oh, yeah. at an inopportune time and fall to his doom or something? As someone who's like major information on Spider-Man came from the comics in the 90s and from the animated series in the 90s. Mm -hmm. It seemed like Peter Parker was running out of webbing every single day. There was always a, I'm going to swing between these two buildings and stop that helicopter and, oh no, I'm out of webbing and now I'm falling 40 stories. Yep. That was 
happening every single day to whatever version of Peter Parker I was watching. And so to know that Gwen never has to worry about that necessarily because she doesn't run out of fluid the same way just makes her a more prepared superhero. This is also kind of an interesting philosophical argument to me about the magic practice of Gwen Stacy because her powers come from this radioactive spider bite, right? Which was manufactured as far as I know, and like, tell me if I'm wrong, was manufactured in some way. Mm-hmm. And and then the spider, thus radioactive, goes and bites her. And then she develops these powers. So these powers are pretty synthesized, let's say. Like they're not, when we talk about other witches that have, um, that practice magic or have these powers, um, we've talked about witches like X-Men witches or Leia Organa or something like that. And their powers tend to come either through genetics spontaneously or through some sort of other means. I'm wondering if Gwen is the first witch that we've talked about who has really, synthetic isn't the right word, but like powers from something that's been man-made. Possibly. It's curious because in the Spider-Gwen comics, we actually do go into a great bit of detail about the origins of the spider and the scientist who developed it and their intent behind it. So we do know that the spider was crafted specifically for this reason and was unleashed onto the world to create somebody like Gwen. Hmm. Like it was still just random happenstance that it happened to be Gwen Stacy. But then the scientist who did it studied Gwen to see the results of her experiment and then continue the research, which in part led to the creation of Venom, which then became the way that Gwen continued to have her powers. Both the origin of the spider and the origin of Venom are very different in in Spider-Gwen's reality than they are in Peter Parker's reality, but they have a sort of similar endpoint But it's one where Gwen is much more in tune with the Venom symbiote, whereas they do work as one. Whereas in Spider-Man, like in Peter Parker's reality, they're enemies. Enemies, yeah. For Gwen, they're able to stay on the same page largely because of her musical background. Right, right, right. Because the symbiote responds to sound waves. And as long as Gwen is able to keep that sort of punk rock in her head, then she and the Venom are on the exact same page. And they're like, yeah, this is fine. Let's just just go to Spider-Woman. This is great. amazing. And like, that's a really interesting piece of like magical connectivity that i think makes gwen a really interesting witch to discuss because there is that musical connection with the venom symbiote that's really it's just pretty cool also i feel like the minute that you get into multiverses you're in like a quantum reality and like let's face it that's magic already oh yeah i don't feel like you need to go any further than that and it's fun that you mentioned the, the multiverse angle of it because a lot of the Spider-Gwen stories in the comics do focus on the fact that she, very early in her career she discovers the multiverse and that there are other Spider-People and she has several adventures throughout the multiverse with them. And she quickly discovers that in almost every other reality, Gwen Stacy died a tragic death and it was important to Spider-Man the way Gwen Stacy died. And so she is carrying on as a superhero with the knowledge that she is one of very few Gwen's 
to survive and that that means something. And there are a few realities where she does find another Gwen Stacy hmm. and kind of has to like, not necessarily protect that Gwen, but learn from that Gwen and see why Gwen Stacy's in the multiverse are important. Interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting the way- That's like, pretty cool. If you met yourself in another reality, what would you learn from them? Because in another reality, you are a great deal of importance. In this reality, are you my therapist? Because I feel like I've had this conversation before. I might be. Okay. I might be. I think we'll 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 put a pin in that and we'll go back to it later. For now, let's talk about the third rule of witchiness, which is that the witch in question practiced feminism. Is Gwen Stacy a feminist? Yeah, Gwen Stacy is definitely a feminist. As one of the few female spider totems, Gwen has firmly made a name for herself in a relatively short period of time as one of the fiercest and most formidable spider heroes, crossing over into other realities on multiple occasions to save both the Peter Parker and Miles Morales of the main Marvel timeline. She's maintained excellent friendships and partnerships with fellow spider women like Jessica Drew, Cindy Moon, and Mayday Parker. Gwen, like seemingly all the spider people, may have problems with her own personal life in her dimension, but she's become one of the most reliable spider people in the multiverse to save the day in times of need. That's awesome. And I think it's really excellent that she is also in a punk rock band with a bunch of other ladies who have had to be supporting ladies to a questionable spider dude. Yeah, definitely. And ladies supporting ladies, as I said before, is wonderful. Always a wonderful theme. Moving on to the fourth rule of witchiness, the witch in question needs to be persecuted or misunderstood. Is Gwen Stacy either of those? Yeah, so like all good spider people, Gwen is both persecuted and misunderstood because of her vigilante lifestyle and misinformation amongst the public. As Spider-Woman, she is publicly blamed for the death of her world's Peter Parker, who is also Gwen's best friend and closest confidant. Even after turning herself in and making her identity public, she is frequently turned away at restaurants and harassed by the public just for being a superhero and a presumably undesirable element in their lives. That is a bummer because food is one wonderful and important to survival and to be turned away at a restaurant because somebody doesn't understand you're doing a very important job in this reality. Yeah, but at the same time, a lot of these establishments have the right to refuse service to anyone. I'm sure the same happens when you or I go into a restaurant. They can say, you know, we're not going to serve you. And that's their right to do so. They're a private establishment. So if she goes into a restaurant and they're like, oh, I'm sorry, Miss Stacy, we can't have you here then it's within their legal right to do so. I don't like that you're right about this, but you are. There's a there's a burger place on the corner of my block here in LA that I go to now because I'm like, ooh, I've never seen this chain of burgers before. And they have a big sign right at the front door that says we reserve the right to refuse service to anyone. And I'm always like, one of these days they're going to say, we don't like your kind, Derek, get out of here. <laughs> get out of here. And I'll be heartbroken because they're the only infinite Coke machine in my neighborhood. How am I supposed to get that cherry sprite limeade without access to the infinite coke machine infinite coke machine i don't know i don't know the answer to this and now i am going to add a new anxiety to the list of anxieties that i bring to my therapist who is possibly you in this reality yeah this podcast hasn't caused any problems in the past five minutes no none whatsoever speaking of the number five transition <laughs> 
Is Gwen Stacy bonded to a sentience larger than herself? Um, yeah, so I hadn't thought of it until this conversation, but I'm sure the bond with Venom counts as a sentience. But That's what I thought, yeah. But uh, yeah, as I alluded to earlier, Gwen has been tethered to a construct known as the Web of Life and Destiny since very early in her career. This connects her to a variety of other spider totems across the multiverse. And for a while, Gwen and several other spiders used experimental bracelets to communicate across dimensions and travel between them to assist one another and defend worlds where their spiders were killed. But after recent events in the comics, the web was seemingly destroyed, and Gwen was trusted with a pendant that was bonded to her unique radioactive DNA and allows her and only her to travel along the broken strands of the web. I had no idea about any of that and it's fascinating as you were explaining it i was like oh well we're talking about multiple realities we're talking you know kind of parallel to quantum theory is this is this a spider string theory are the web strings or the strings folded on themselves oh, no, it absolutely is it's very literally that where each strand of the web is a different reality fantastic and so when this gang of superpowered vampires basically literally sets fire <laughs> to the web uh-huh. it destroys the connections to these realities wow. and in some cases actually does damage to those realities where like whole universes will suddenly be up in flame that was a very literal spider web that the other spider people would travel along to see each other and help save each other and it's At the moment, at least, because nothing in comics is permanent, at the moment it's gone, but Gwen has a unique skill that allows her to continue to travel along it. Look at this. Comics. Just teaching us about string theory, sort of. I love it. Better than Jeff Goldblum ever did. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like you could make an argument for that one, but that is a different podcast. Potentially. I We have a hard enough time recording this podcast, so let's not... <laughs> Let, no, no, no. A different podcast that someone with. else will record. Oh yeah, we're barely qualified to talk about fictional witches. Barely. Alright, so now that we have talked about my dancing witch, mm-hmm. let's talk about yours. Regina, tell me a little bit about dance magic. Who would you like to talk about today? I'm going to tell you about Susie Bannon from the 2018 version of Suspiria. Like the original 1977 version, Suspiria centers around a group of witches in a dance company. There are many major departures from the original, and I'm going to be following the 2018 version for the story of Susie for our discussion. Spoilers for the film from here on out. Susie is a young Mennonite girl who travels to Berlin after her abusive mother passes away. She's supremely talented at dance and idolizes Blanc, aka Tilda Swinton, one of the head dancers of the company. Susie's story weaves in and out of the political struggle of Berlin in the 70s with the political struggle of the coven and which of the women should be at the head of it. I highly recommend this film. It's horrifying, morally gray, and feminist in kind of an unlikely way. It also really hammered home how breath can affect your mood, something I've always known intellectually, but never felt as viscerally as while I was watching the film and the dancing in the film. Speaking of dancing, good god, do yourself a favor and watch this film. The choreography by Damien Gillet is magic on its own. From the day this movie came out, I think you were constantly instant messaging me saying, oh my god, see it, oh my god, see it, oh my god. So, hooray, I'm glad we finally got a chance to talk about it. Uh, Have you seen the original also? Yes. Yeah, I've seen the original a bunch of times. It's like kind of, it's 
It's very different. I, I had heard a lot about the original, and I think I may have seen it in college, but that was now forever ago, and I don't remember anything. Partially because I now live in LA, and there's just marijuana smoke around me all the time <laughs> wherever I go. I mean, it's, you know, it's a mood. It certainly is. But let's start talking about the rules of witchiness for the 2018 version of the film. Yes. Can you tell me, via the first rule of witchiness, if Susie Bannon is female? Yes, Susie identifies as female. And... To me, hair is an interesting thematic element throughout the film, in particular the way hair is shown in places it shouldn't be. Now, I'm not talking patriarchal standards of body hair, but rather how one of the dance company leaders carries with her a purse around her neck made of human hair. How the girls dream nightmares of hair stuck in their throats and clogging drains. There's a hair-framed painting at one point of Marcos and Blanc. The list goes on. Add to that some moments where certain dancers are made to cut their hair, and you've got a hairy recipe for feminine hair symbolism. I love the way Susie's and Blanc's long hair are used to both conceal and reveal their characters during moments of ritual dance magic. And there is a lot of drama. So yes, identifies as female and also has long hair that may or may not be symbolic. Yeah, there's a fun connection there between Susie and Gwen in terms of the way the hair is treated in their movies because Susie does a lot with her long hair mm -hmm. and Gwen does a surprising amount with her short hair. Mm -hmm. There's there's fun to be had there. Yeah, and I, I would say that Gwen has a little bit, at least in the Spider-Verse movie, has like a touch of queer coding with her oh, yeah. uh, very snazzy haircut and there's definitely a very sensual thing happening with the long hair and the and the hair either long or being made to be short in the film all right so second rule of witchiness can you tell me a little bit about how Susie uses magic if she does it all oh she does she really really does she first practices magic without realizing in what, to me, is the most powerful choreography scene of the film. She's trying to audition into the company and is made to dance without music. Here's where my realization about breath and mood comes in, along with some glorious choreography and some of the more gruesome body horror in the film. Interspersed with the audition are scenes of another girl being essentially folded into oblivion by the movements. Susie also practices a form of invocation at the end of the film when she, everyone drew about spoilers, becomes Mother Suspirium. Yeah, um, being folded into oblivion sounds horrifying. It's horrifying. So there's, a, there's another girl basically in a different room in this building who is trying to leave, trying to escape. She's really upset and she kind of gets trapped in this mirrored room, this mirrored dance studio. And the mirrors are interesting because they're super fragmented. They're like very small panels of mirrors. And so while the audition is is happening, there's this other girl in this other room and you're you're able to see the horror that's happening from a lot of different angles and like in pieces because of the mirrors all around. And so Susie is is dancing and she's doing this very modern angular like really intense heavy breathing and really fast movements and you know like kind of whipping her body around and folding her hands and I'm making a lot of gestures that you can't see because this is not a video podcast but the movements the way the scene is cut she does movements and then you're cut to this horrifying scene of this other girl 
where her body is being bent in really unnatural ways and her bones are breaking and, you know, she's being, like, squeezed and folded and, like, falling over and, like, you know, parts of her, like, being almost, like, torn apart. It's super scary. And then it cuts back to this beautiful choreography and this intense breath. And, like, you get, like, the minute that your brain, like, shifts enough to be like, oh, wow, this is really beautiful dance. You're cut back to, and this horrible body thing that's happening. And then you, like, bounce back and forth between the two. And it's just, it's really good editing. It's really good choreography. And it's really horrifying and beautiful at the same time. And I love it so. Yeah, so uh, if all our listeners at home, just every time Regina hits like a hard consonant and pops a little bit, just bend your hands at a sharp geometric angle, just wherever just you are. If you're driving your car while you're listening, Vogue. if you're on the subway while you're listening, just start voguing. A little bit, Vogue. Every time Regina describes the events of Suspiria, it'll really put you in the mindset of the, the animated conversation that we're having. There's a lot of movement. And yeah, and again, the breath thing, I feel like this is unintentionally Regina's therapy podcast today as well. But like the the breath and mood thing, the way that Susie breathes during these dance sequences that are literally ritual magic that she's performing, they're just, it's just so incredible. It makes you feel it. And like, it's so pronounced. Like, it's very obvious that the breath is a part of the movement and the mood and the draw and the energy and everything that's happening. Let's move on while I have these horrible nightmare visions in my head. Let's talk about <laughs> third rule of witchiness. Is Susie a feminist? Ultimately, yes, but not necessarily in the ways that I thought. Susie is remarkably human for being a witch who may also be a supernatural being. She comes into her own, amasses enormous power, and is basically a murderer in a lot of ways. None of these things is particularly feminist, but what I like about this film is that it's a stage for all women, or almost all, and they're allowed to be morally gray, ambiguous, nasty, terrible. They're not confined to empowerment or redemption arcs or anything like that. They're doing their own thing in their own world, and that's pretty profound to me. I think Susie is probably a feminist to her own personal beliefs, but in the end, it doesn't matter so much to me, because she's got a talking vagina coming out of her chest and exploding people with her mind. So yes, feminist, but not because of the chest vagina. Yes, you, it's very important that you make a distinction between which vagina is the one that makes you a feminist. <laughs> and I find that it's the mind vagina. <laughs> It's the one in your mind. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't think you need any to be a feminist. But I think that it, it's really easy to assume feminism because of things like talking chest vagina in the film. But again, I, I think it's really more that these characters are super diverse and interesting and they have agendas and they're not just good and right and empowered and happy and you know they're they're not doing it for themselves like you know yes breaking glass ceilings like they're selfish and some of them are you know make really bad decisions and i think that that's pretty spectacular to be able to see an almost entirely female cast 
have these different experiences. Women with complex layers and confused morality? What kind of story are you telling here, sister? I don't know. Unbelievable. I literally don't Unbelievable. It. Yes, it's uh, probably easier to believe that there's chest vaginas yeah. when the ladies <laughs> can be anything but... Everyone's got a little bit of a chest vagina. <laughs> Charming, wonderful polite. So the fourth rule of witchiness is that the witch in question comes from a place of persecution or misunderstanding. Can you tell me how Susie is persecuted or misunderstood? Yes, in the more upsetting scenes of the film to me, she's very much misunderstood by her biological mother and the community of Mennonites she leaves behind in America. Her mom basically says that Susie is her biggest mistake in life. Ouch. No wonder she wants to become an all-powerful witch and coven leader and lady with a talking vagina chest. Yeah, nobody wants to hear that. Definitely not out of their talking chest's vagina, but from from their mother especially that's yeah i can see how that would mess really you up really bad so let's talk about the fifth and final rule of witchiness mm -hmm. is Susie bonded to a sentience larger than herself yes whatever the suspirium power is she is freaking bonded to it see also talking vagina chest this is actually important because she comes into her power, becomes Mother Suspirium, and is transformed by accepting this power. And then she vagina chest, as I said, and then she like explodes some people with her power. I don't know how it works, but I think with her mind. And she grants death to some other dancers in the company who are also a part of this ritual magic. And she basically goes to each one of them and asks if they want to be released and they say yes or no and then she kills them if they say yes and it's really powerful and interesting and actually a little bananas i mean the last scene just really goes to 11 with that so what i'm hearing here is chest vaginas will be on the final exam correct great okay so for extra credit let's move on to the bonus question which is which of these witches that we've discussed would you invite into your coven if you could only have one would it be Susie or would it be gwen why tell me regina answer the question now You've been putting it off too long. <laughs> Definitely Gwen. Definitely Gwen, because as much as I find Susie fascinating, and she's a fabulous dancer, and she may or may not be some kind of god, she's terrifying. She's genuinely terrifying. She has so much power. I think Suspirium has something to do with size. It's something to do with size and breath. Again, why the breath is really important in the film with the breathing and such. I find her horrifying because she is so powerful and so morally gray, as I, as I mentioned in the bit about feminism. Gwen, on the other hand, she is so cool and she plays in a band and I want to be her friend and I want her to think that I'm cool and I want to get uh, milkshakes with her and I want to listen to her band play and also join my coven and do magical stuff with me. Yeah, that makes sense. Those are good reasons why. Uh, I also would choose Gwen. <laughs> I have a very simple uh, yay and nay for this. Uh, Gwen, punk rock. Hell yes, Yay. into it. Susie, uh, I don't want to vagina shame anybody, regardless of where on their chest it may be. Mm -hmm. For me, it's more of an issue of the hair. The hair stuff is creepy. Mm -hmm. The hair stuff makes me very uncomfortable. 
the like hair in your throat. No, thank you. Just keep keep it away from me. Mm -hmm. None 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 of none of none of that. Just the punk rock. Give me the punk rock. Mm -hmm. Gwen Stacy's my girl. Yes. Where I'm at. Yes, I agree with you. The hair stuff is real weird. Now I know that we're both feeling the punk rock. We are. There needs to be a place you can go to listen to music like that, whether it be punk rock or whether it be like Nouvelle Vague or orchestral maneuvers in the dark. Um, when when we have our coven meetings, we kind of have to go to a place with like nice atmosphere and nice music. Can you recommend a mm -hmm. place to me? Somewhere perhaps that you wouldn't get turned away for being a witch or for having a chest vagina. I can think of one place. Ooh, what's that? The Cauldron Cabaret. You're right. I always forget we have a specific place for this. Yes. I should write this down. I should have notes prepared for this podcast. <laughs> so we're at the Cauldron Cabaret. Yes. We're chilling. We've got Susie with us. We've got Gwen with us. Mm -hmm. Who are they associating with? What are they doing? Think about the wonderful ladies that we already have in the Cauldron. What's going down? I think that first of all, Susie is going to gravitate towards more of the dark and villainous amongst our witches. I'm thinking Maleficent, Bevmorda, Queen Beryl, probably Ursula too. I also think that it will be challenging to guess how she will react now that she is Mother Suspirium. She might, to be honest with you, she might try to do a little coven recruiting of her own. We might have to put in a, a you know, like a no solicitation, like no recruiting. <laughs> kind of sign up because I think that she might try to wrangle some of these witches to join her coven and do her dark bidding. What about Gwen? What is she up to? Here's the thing. Gwen is a cool chick, but she's also a bit of a loner because she has a hard time trusting friends after what went down with her best friend getting killed accidentally by Spider-Woman. So she's going to be drawn, I think, well, not drawn, but she's going to have a sort of emotional connection to similar loners like Ileana, Magic from the X-Men, or Leia Organa from Star Wars. They're going to have a lot of similar understandings mm -hmm. of having lost people important to them, but mm -hmm. then being motivated to go on with the fight. Go with me on this musical journey for one minute. Okay, I'm listening. Gwen Stacy and Kim and Kim. I like it. I feel like she, I feel like Gwen would be very drawn to their eyeliner. It's a lot say, of eyeliner. Hey, this is great. I'm loving what you're doing with your hair. Mm -hmm. While we're at it, let's bring in Emily Astor from Phonogram. Yes, all of these musical witches. Because while Emily Astor, I think, would see Kim and Kim and say, oh, what an adorable couple of posers. Yes. I feel like she will see Gwen Stacy and say, you are authentic. You are the real deal. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's have a chat. Mm -hmm. And when Gwen is friends with Kim and Kim, I think that will soften Emily a little bit and be like, all right, I need to lay off a bit. I need to just allow girls to have fun. I feel like this is a beautiful friendship. I feel like they're going to name their group chat, you know? I feel like this is going to go beyond the, the Cauldron Cabaret. Yeah, this is going to go far. I like this association together. I also feel like Gwen and Sailor Moon, mm. I feel like for some reason, would just be delightful together with their sort of tomboyish disregard for things that are sort of ostensibly feminine. Because mm -hmm. the, the two of them are very much sort of tomboys. Yes. Even though they are... Very high femme. They're very high femme 
FM, very pretty blonde teenage girl types. They both also like kick butt, save the day, and mm-hmm. just want to play video games and eat food. Now I'm thinking about thematic connections between other witches, and I'm thinking about Susie and Bayonetta. Oh, and the yeah. Hair connection, yeah. The hair they magic. would definitely have a long conversation about proper hair maintenance and how to slaughter somebody with that hair. Absolutely. You know what? I feel like that is like a love connection right there. I feel like they're just going to have so much in common they're going to really know all of the products that you need to deal with this massive amount of hair and as you said how to kill people with this massive amount of hair i think is going to be horrifying and while we're connecting those two i also wonder if they would find some sort of connection between Susie's chest vagina and the portals that bayonetta uses with her hair to summon hell creatures oh yes absolutely yeah. Because I imagine, now I don't know all of the uh, pseudoscience regarding chest vaginas, but mm-hmm. I do just sort of, from my terrified male perspective, feel like it is some sort of portal to hell. Mm, I think that's only true in Videodrome. Fair enough. Yes, I can see how that would be a mistake on my part. <laughs> it's okay. You're a dude. Well, that about wraps things up for this episode of Which Witch is Witch. Now that you've heard what we have to say, what do you think? Who would you invite into your coven? Let us know at witchwitchcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at witchwitchcast. That's W-H-I-C-H-W-I-T-C-H-C-A-S-T. Don't anger the elder gods. Subscribe to Which Witch is Witch on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever your pods may be cast. Until then, remember, in another reality, hair chokes on you. This is where Ringo lives. He's the master of the domain. I told you that he does CBD now, right? I I heard, yes. We gave him some this afternoon and it did not seem to calm him down. It just kind of seemed to like make him want to stare at things for a while. I mean, I understand that. I like... We've all had that kind of reaction at one point or another. Yeah, I like... I, I, I do CBD... I like mine in the form of weed. Well, there are lots of stores out here for that.